Welcome to the Inrooted Podcast, where we believe it's our biblical duty to work the land and that scripture provides wisdom for our everyday walk in life. This is your podcast where faith intertwines inspiration, new perspectives, and practical tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. Let's get started. All right, today we're going to be talking about lessons for land stewardship. Specifically, I'm going to be giving you four lessons today that you can take away and kind of reflect on or start implementing into your own land ownership and management decisions. And where am I getting these lessons from? Did I just pull them out of thin air? No, we're going to be jumping into the book of Proverbs. So we know this is probably one of my most referenced books when I go to and and listen and list various foundations for my ideas, for my reasons, and for the justification of why I recommend different aspects for land management. Especially now that we are moving towards blending faith and land stewardship more and more, each of these lessons I feel like are so integral. And when it comes to the book of Proverbs, we often refer to it for our moral values, for our everyday actions of how should we act, how should we interact with one another, what should we do in obedience to be more like God. But when I read the book of Proverbs and when I'm reading scriptures, yes, I'm definitely trying to gain that spiritual food and become more and more like God intended for me to be. But I also read these valuable words through the lens of land management and land ownership, I look and gain so much inspiration in my own land ownership that I definitely want to share it with all of y'all. And so today we're going to be jumping into Proverbs chapter 30, verses 25 through 28. And this small section are where I'm getting my four lessons that I'm going to be sharing with you today for land stewardship. And I promise it's going to be much different than you probably think it is. All right, so let's get started. Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hydrixes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in cracks. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. All right, so we got four creatures here that are going to be referencing. And when I talk about, or when I think about animals that I'm getting life lessons from, I would say we're probably no stranger to being like, oh, well, what can we learn? We get so many life lessons from cats and dogs and elephants, you know, wise like an elephant and happy and loyal like a dog. We get so much inspiration from all the animals around us. And yet these animals in particular are not exactly what I would place on a pedestal to to gain inspiration from. And to start off, we have our ants. Personally, I really do not like ants. Mostly fire ants. I acknowledge there are tons of different varieties of ants and they're not all terrible like the fire ant. I also acknowledge fire ants are invasive to our area. So technically, I shouldn't ever have actually been around them. Yet here they are. I just wouldn't necessarily, when I'm thinking about how can I get lessons from the wildlife around me, these are probably the bottom of the pile of what I would get from. Even in the very beginning, it says four things on earth are small. And then, of course, he recognizes that they're extremely wise. 
So off the back, I think this kind of shows about how we can so easily misjudge opportunities and things around us, how we can so easily judge a book by its by its cover, which we know we're not supposed to do. And yet we do it day in and day out, because as I was reading this for the very first time, I definitely had to do a second glance through and be like, wait, what? Like, really? Everything out there. These are the animals that Proverbs found wise enough to reference for us to gain our wisdom from that we should learn more from and that is a kind of a self-reflection for myself as well that I really probably need to be a little bit more open-minded to things that I wouldn't necessarily consider and look to pursue so what are these lessons we can gain from these different creatures and we are going to start with the ant Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Now, we've known, heard on National Geographic, ants are technically some of the strongest creatures in the entire world. When you compare apple to apples of what they're capable of, they are amazing creatures. They can carry, I think, like 10 or 20 times their body weight in food that they are trying to store up for the summer, for the fall. They are amazing. But when you compare an ant to, say, a human, it's obviously no comparison of who's going to win that fight. So in that perspective, ants are incredibly small and have incredibly little strength. And yet here, we are using them as a representation of wisdom. So what do we gain for our land stewardship that we need to learn here? It's on preparation. Yet they store up their food in the summer. This to me just screams preparation and how we need to be so much more intentional, not just on what we are doing right now with our land management and our ownership decisions, but what that is going to have a domino effect into the future. How does what we do now prepare us for what we want or what we're striving to get or what we plan on doing in the future? The most easy example that I can pull from land management is our site prep. And I talk about it over and over and over again about how site prep is the foundation of what you plan on getting for the future. If you cut corners now, it's only going to hurt you on your opportunities for later. Well, we can be looking at preparing and all of our decisions through a, a variety of different lenses outside of site prep. If we burn today, we can plan to have better hunting habitat this this fall or next year. If we create these small openings or if we choose not to plant in these small areas and keep them in early successional habitat, keep these openings, we can know for the future, we can utilize them for either cover crops and different food plots or pollinator habitats. And we are creating this different wildlife diversity matrix out there. The decisions we do today will determine what products we're capable of, what programs we might be eligible for in the future, what our children might be looking at with our land in the future. So the question for you in your land stewardship is, are you just taking action because we need to check off these boxes to get things done? Or are we looking through the lens of how does this prepare me for what I want for the future? You hear me talk about your whys and your objectives and being intentional and active, and all of those are true. But at the same time, we need to make sure we're not just doing work for work's sake and that it has that purpose 
but we're something we are trying to get for the future. Perhaps it's higher quality products for our retirement income. Perhaps it is a higher quality products for more returns for your kids' uh, childhood funding. Perhaps it's an uneven age system so you can create more of this natural looking forest that you've always envisioned and want to to walk through to create more songbird diversity on your property, which in turn might make you more eligible for different wildlife conservation organizations if you are striving to donate your land in the future. The actions we take today will prepare us or should prepare us for what we are trying to get for the tomorrows of tomorrow. So what are you doing today? What are you doing this year that's helping you and preparing you for that future? The second one, the hydrexes. Now, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what these things are. So I had to look it up. And they're essentially like this weird little guinea pig groundhog mix type creature that lives in the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa that live off of these like really rocky cliff edges. Very, very cute. Quite tiny which I should have known. It talks about right there, four things on earth are small. I should have known it was a small thing, but I had no idea. Was this a bird? Was this a, a, a bug? Was this an animal? And yes, it's a very adorable guinea pig, groundhog mixed type animal. And it talks about how he's a creature of little power, yet they make their home in crag. So what lesson are we getting from here for our land stewardship? Well, you got wise building and we can talk about how our efforts and our management over land is building the different forested ecosystems. But what came to my mind more so was being self-aware of our abilities. The Hydrix is fully aware how susceptible it is to predation because it's cute, it's small, it's fuzzy, it's easily taken up by any type of raptors or any other predators that might be out there. It has no protection on it. There's no ability to help itself. It's fuzzy and cute. So what does it do? It builds its home in the sturdiest and hardest and rockiest place it possibly can to protect itself because it is self-aware of its little power. So what are we self-aware of when it comes to our land stewardship and management? And it comes to my mind of how busy we are, how active do we want to be when we maybe sign up for different programs. Various programs sound very intriguing, especially if they're going to give us some financial returns consistently or if they are going to help us get any type of management done. But we need to be self-aware of what we are signing up for. And what do I mean by this? I keep saying this word, but what does that actually mean? I mean, are you going up in age and perhaps you're not able to work the land quite like you did before? You always had a passion for working the land, but maybe it's some type of medical problem or simply older age that is causing you and not being able to do everything that you used to be able to do. Perhaps you have moved away from the land or you live long distance and it's a little bit more challenging for you to keep tabs with what's going on states away when you are busy with your own household, you know, 300 miles to the west. Perhaps you're in a season like me where you have little kids, which require your daily constant attention, calling out your name at least 4,200 times because they need a milk refill. Perhaps you are exploring extracurricular activities like I am too. And so almost all of our afternoons are filled with, with things of enrichments and getting them you know, more well-rounded and helping them explore their different passions. But if you have more than one kid, this schedule fills up quite quickly and trying to balance that with your own sanity. And so trying to think about doing one more thing on the land can sound 
overwhelming. We just simply don't have the time right now. All of these are just seasons of life. They're not permanent. Life moves on, things change, but we do need to be self-aware of what we're trying to sign up for. Now, I'm going to give you a quick example that I think you could probably relate to, and I think also often gets overlooked. And I'm going to be talking about the EQIP program, EQIP, Environmental Qualities Incentives Program within the NRCS. I'm currently enrolled into it, and you probably heard about it. I often promote it as a wonderful cost share opportunity because it's one to two years. It's in and out. It covers so many different practices. It's a great program. I do love it. It helps landowners tremendously with the financial burden of forest management. I don't want you to rely on it, but I do want you to throw your hat into the ring. But when you throw your hat into the ring, be careful of how much you sign up for, okay? It can get very easy to be like, oh, yes, we are going to be signing up for reforestation and thinning and prescribed burning. Then we're going to add in some pollinator habitat and some early successional plantings. We are going to do some wildlife openings. We're going to add in some duck blinds. You are checking off all the boxes you possibly can. One, because you don't actually know if you're going to get approved, so why not? And two, these all sound like great things that you would want to do on your land. Then you find out you got approved. That's fantastic. I'm super happy and excited for you. This is going to help you move your management along tremendously. But now we actually got to do it. And you have to do it within two years, which is a very fast turnaround time for land management. And so all those little things that you're very excited about, you're like, oh, these sound great. Now it's a little bit daunting. It's a little bit much. And you're not sure if you're actually going to be able to execute it all in a timely manner. Because we have to remember these practices, these management, these operations take time to implement themselves. Then you have to allow for time in between. And so if you checked all the boxes, you now have so many different things going on along with your regular household normal life. Were you prepared to handle all of that? Again, it's just a season. And so maybe you do just pull through it. But perhaps before you check all the boxes, you kind of just take a self-reflection point of, Am I willing to actually do all of this? Because the last thing we want to do is overbear you and overrun you with things you got to do on the land because it takes it from being a joyful experience, from being that legacy that you can be proud of to a burden of work. Now we're going to be jumping over to the locusts and the locusts are going to share us a little bit of insight into the other two animals actually. And again, locusts, not exactly an animal that I would take a lot of pride from learning some lessons from. The only thing I really know about them is that they have a, like a cylindrical cycle. About every seven years, you just see locusts everywhere. Outside of that, they're a big bug. That's all I really know. But according to Proverbs, they have no king, which is quite contrary to our honeybees and a lot of our other bee species, which have a queen. And so they have a hierarchy. Here, according to Proverbs, locusts have no hierarchy. They have no king. And yet they advance together in ranks. They are somehow able to cooperate to do whatever they need to get done, which is amazing. Because when we think about cooperation, it is so necessary to actually get our stewardship accomplished on the ground to allow it to thrive. And you may be thinking, well, I mean, I do. I, I agree with my foresters. I get along with the contractors. I get along with those folks. I don't have any problems cooperating with, with my resources. What if I said it wasn't your resources? What if I said... Perhaps we need stronger cooperation within the family. This is probably one of the biggest contention and tension points I find for landowners is not being able to cooperate within the family. 
it could be a husband spouse a husband wife situation i don't typically see that nearly as much as parents and children or more so in siblings when siblings inherit it and they're all trying to manage together there's always a they versus them a one-on-one situation where you simply cannot cooperate and the inability to cooperate and get things done is going to impact everything else you are not going to be able to prepare and get work done on the ground because the two of you the three of you the five of you whoever it may be are not able to agree and therefore you're stuck in this whole analysis paralysis you know situation of just like well we can't move forward with anything because we can't agree on anything the inability to cooperate also makes the land a kind of thorn in your in your side situation. It's causing all of this drama that it doesn't necessarily need to. Yes, it is so important that you all definitely need to talk about it, but there are some aspects I would say we can probably be a little petty on. You know, there are some things that really just aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. And so when we cause our land management and our ownership decisions to cause all of this family strife that's unwarranted, it takes this amazing asset and shifts it to being this burdensome liability that no one really wants to do anything with. And of course, we it just downward spirals from them. And because it's now like this burden and things aren't getting done because you can't cooperate to get things done on the ground, it's growing more and more and getting into this more wilderness, wild state that's not actually producing anything productive. And then at the same time, it's going to be this financial burden because you still have your property taxes and it's not going to produce anything financially profitable for you to be able to maintain it all because we couldn't cooperate. Now, if I'm speaking to you, I do pray that we can find some common ground. And I know this is a challenging thing to get common ground on sometimes, especially when it's with family. But it is so vitally important because the last thing I want to do is see you sell the land or lose the land because you couldn't afford the taxes because nothing was getting done. And having that regretful right word what's the right word i can't think of the right word at this moment but essentially you are placing all of this tension onto them you are blaming them for this loss and it's only going to hurt your relationship with each other more if you sell the land because of this now if the two of you come together and agree that y'all just simply aren't going to be able to agree and agree that that is the best decision for you and your family moving forward that is one thing and if you're in that situation i do have a three-part series on a few podcast episodes before in season one you should definitely listen to to see if selling the land is the right decision for you But if we can learn to cooperate with one another like the locusts, you will see so much more get accomplished on your land. And your land and your family will really be able to thrive within this amazing asset and within your land stewardship responsibilities. And that brings us down to our fourth animal, our fourth lesson, the lizard. Now, my son is definitely in his lizard catching days. And you probably yourself have actually caught some lizards in your past, but if you're honest, you know, the little green lizards, the brown anoles out there that are running around, you go and you grab them, they try to bite you, their tail might actually break off when they run off, you put them in a little cage and you try to feed them like crickets and bugs. Really fun. They're absolutely everywhere. Fun to catch. Proverbs talks about a lizard can be caught with the hand, which we have done countless times. And yet it's found in king's palaces. All right, Daniel, how are you going to tie this one to land stewardship now? 
fearlessness. A lizard is so small and often caught. It runs absolutely everywhere. And yet it's found in king's palaces. The king's palace, the place that so many people wouldn't even dare to dream to enter. A lizard just walks on in. He is fearless about going and exploring that opportunity. So how does that relate to our own land stewardship? We need to be fearless in going to places that we wouldn't even dream about going because we were too intimidated to go. Specifically, getting engaged with our local forestry associations, forestry events, natural resources, opportunities, um, programs, statewide, countywide, regionwide, whatever it may be. We need to be fearless in showing up in these areas. Okay, well, I just show up. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. But I also understand why perhaps you haven't, especially within the forestry organizations, because stereotypically forestry is a male dominated industry. And so it can be intimidating to show up to these events where you have all these different foresters, at least half are going to be foresters, even if it's a landowner event. If it has continuing education, it's going to have half full of foresters. And then these foresters have been around each other for a while. And so they've networked for years and years and years. And they've built these relationships. And now you have the quote unquote good old boys club that can feel very intimidating to show up to. It's like going to the gym for the very first time. And all you see are these big muscles absolutely everywhere. And it is intimidating to be that new person who's maybe out of shape, has no idea what they're doing, and just feels a little silly around all of these very strong people. Until you start to talk to them and realize they didn't happen like this overnight. They showed up day after day, put in the work, and years after years have built this physique, this this health fitness But they're also willing to share that with you because they understand what it's like to have been that new person. And so it's not really nearly as intimidating as we make it out in our own heads. We make it so much worse when it doesn't have to be. Are there jerks? Yeah, absolutely. There's jerks everywhere. There's jerks at the Target, at the Walmart, at the 7-Eleven down the street. That doesn't stop us from going there. So we need to be like the lizard and be fearless to go into these king's palaces, these places and events and meetings and opportunities and associations that we wouldn't have dared to dream simply because we were too intimidated to even try to show up. We need to go and we need to get engaged because you never know what relationships you might start there, what you might hear there, what you might learn there that could change the trajectory of your land stewardship and your family management. So that is it for today. The four life lessons, land lessons for our land stewardship from Proverbs, from the ants, from the hydrexes, from the locusts and a lizard. Now, I would love to know which one of these animals resonate with you the most. Shoot me a comment, send me an email, send me a DM on any of my social medias, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you're finding me, YouTube. I would love to know which of these animals have definitely resonated with you that you probably need to step up and be a little bit more like them. And I'll be first. I'll share with you first. For me, it's probably the Hydrex. I really need to be a little bit more self-aware of my own abilities. And this can be on both sides of the spectrum. You know, I, you think about this and you may think of, of, uh, you know, not being able to do enough and you're able to do more than you're capable of. And that's very possible. For me, it tends to be on the opposite side of overloading myself and thinking I'm capable of doing so much more than I actually am. So I need to be a little bit more self-aware, build my home within these hydrexes, protect myself, 
from things I can easily see that could hurt me. So what about you? Which animal resonates with you the most? Until next time.